0: Terry, breaking it down. I love it, Terry.
1: Good morning, Don. Thank Good you for morning. having
0: me. Yeah, thanks for and, being and here. And listen, I, I,
1: I want to thank you for having our writers on so frequently to share their, their views and perspectives. We we certainly appreciate it at Broad and Liberty.
0: Yeah, I love you guys. Absolutely. And and everybody needs to read Broad and Liberty to support you guys. What you're doing is so important because, unfortunately, there's, there are so many media outlets out there who, first of all, just by omission, are biased in other words just ignore very important stories and so i really i appreciate you and and all your colleagues at broad and liberty so let's get get to it and i've i've talked a lot about and reported a lot on matt bradford and uh what he's doing his his antics in the suburbs and as well his his influence and even his influence with shapiro trying to put through in the in the budget i mean there are many who say behind the scenes he was the guy who took hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations and so on and so forth from the teachers' unions, and that he he was the influencer here. take Take me through this latest piece.
1: Well, I, I think what triggered the piece for me was the fact that his original op ed, trying to explain what had happened with the breakdown in the state budget negotiations between the House Democrats, the Senate Republicans, and Governor Shapiro, to me, just was a, a woefully inadequate process argument that exposed his demonstrable lack of experience in leadership in state government. It was it was just sort of dripping with the kind of finger-pointing, I know you are, but what am I, mm-hmm. stuff that people hate from Harrisburg politicians, right? And uh, the Inquirer gave him the platform to do so, and, and rightfully so, that's what they're there for, but it just felt like it, it required a response because it was very evident to me that what senate leadership was saying about how the the negotiations were handled with the governor rang very true based on the way he campaigned throughout 2022 and so all fingers point to bradford when it comes to things blowing up here and to me the the trigger in the op-ed was the fact that he opened with the argument that said there is no state budget impasse and like that morning I had been on um, the General Assembly's website and the governor's website, just sort of scanning. So, what's going on here? What are the next steps? What are they saying? And on the homepage of the governor's website was state budget impasse Q and A. So, so when you talk about these guys not being on the same page and the impact it has, regardless of where you fall on on you know whether lifeline scholarships are the best thing or the worst thing in the world, it, from a process standpoint, it was clear that what's going on here was was. Um, not at all what Bradford was characterizing, number one, but number two was you've got five people, six people who are new at their jobs, managing a $46 billion budget that uh, where, where a lot of mistakes are being made along the way.
0: Yeah. To, I got to tell you, this, to me, this was such a no-brainer. And the fact that they would not pass this Lifeline scholarship for for the most needy kids— who are struggling, especially post-pandemic, it's a disgrace. Right. I, I mean, and I've known, just so you know, I've known Josh Shapiro since way back in the day uh, through through a dear friend, the late, great Lou Klein, obviously the communication school at Temple. Lou Klein was a mentor of mine and as well Josh Shapiro, so that's how I knew him and it, very friendly. Um, I I just know deep down in his heart Josh Shapiro is sad about this, and I wish to God that he would have stood up to it and said, "No, no, no. You know what? This is not about." If, if, can you only imagine, Terry, if he had come out and said, "You know what, folks? This is not about politics. We got to do this."
1: Right, he would have been hey, loved. He, he, yeah, he would have been the governor that he sold himself to be. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately what he is, the governor that he is now is very much a result of the fact that he mishandled this so poorly. And it's not that, and I I mentioned in my piece, it's not that he was talking about this sort of like, uh, we should find ways to expand choice in the abstract. He categorically, unambiguously said this lifeline scholarship program is good for Pennsylvania's, Pennsylvania kids, particularly those who are suffering in the worst academic environments in the state. And then, so to go and campaign on it, to go on Fox News and talk about it, yeah. to work with Senate Republicans and get a deal done, and allow Matt Bradford of all people, quite frankly, to blow the whole thing up with with the fairly majority. I mean, they, they have a technical majority. If you remember, uh, at, at the time this went down, they had a one seat majority, but yes. now, you know, they're they're back to to even Stephen. And when they passed, when the Democrats passed the rules package in January, they changed the the definition of the word majority. They said the the party that won the most seats in the prior election has the majority, not the party with the most seats has the majority. So they currently have a majority by default. But the worst, as you well know, Don, the worst kept secret in Harrisburg is that a majority of senators in the Pennsylvania Senate, a majority, a healthy majority of representatives in the House of Representatives and the governor all support this program. Yes, And it was blown up by one individual and the question is whether it was ideological or just purely political right was the calculation for matt bradford that he wants to show governor shapiro who's in charge and he's not going to be bullied by senator ward and senator Pittman, or is it that the reality is he is such an ideologically driven guy right that when the phone calls started coming from the president of the united states and the vice president and the president of the of of the national teachers unions and the other eight unions that signed the letter in opposition to the bill, to the Lifeline scholarship program, when he started getting those calls from Washington D.C., did he panic? Because the reality is, and I know you've had Guy Shirafi on who writes with us mm-hmm. uh, frequently to talk about this, but the dimensions of the argument about school choice have changed profoundly in the last couple of years. This used to be an economic argument for labor leaders, right? Labor leaders were against school choice because it inherently undermined their ability to protect jobs for their members. And while there is an aspect of that that is certainly true, I think what the COVID years has exposed to us is that progressives in the Democratic Party that run, at this point, most of the Democratic establishment Are opposed to school choice on ideological grounds because government schools are the method by which children are indoctrinated through a biased curriculum Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right yes and and so the stakes become much higher when you're not just talking about wages and jobs but you're talking about the fundamental direction and the future of the republic and so you had this tiny pilot program of a hundred million dollars that was less than a fraction of a percentage of the state budget but what it did was it got the camel's toe, nose under the tent. And that's why it was so dangerous. Yes. So progressives. Yep. But going back to Bradford, is he a committed progressive who's opposed to this on ideological grounds and as a result is ignoring the will of his own caucus? We're not talking about Republicans' desires. His own caucus. Because the, the, Speaker McClinton, who is in favor of school choice in, in many areas, uh, House, uh, the the appropriations chair, Jordan Harris, Danielio Burgess from Philadelphia, state rep, Amon Brown from Mm -hmm. Philadelphia, state rep, have all been conspicuously quiet yeah. because the votes in the House exist for this program to pass. So what is up? And that's the question. And that's why Bradford has really been exposed here.
0: Yes. To me, I mean, and I'm I'm a longtime resident of Philadelphia so when my kids went to the little Catholic Norwood Fompon Academy right near our house in Chestnut Hill, there were so many parents who would say, well, we're, we're, we're sucking it up and we're paying for the Catholic school until we can get, until the soonest we can get into whatever public school it is that's starting in sixth grade or starting in eighth grade. But the problem to compound this, like you're saying, post-pandemic, teacher shortage, school violence, and on top of that, It used to be that you would earn your way in. I mean, I know uh, girlfriends who would be, they would say to their kids, you better not get a B because you're going, you know, and it was all about, one of my girlfriends was, since her kids were in the third grade, she would get tests off of online for math and science to say, you're going to do the best in the test because I got to get you in the public school system, the best public schools, that it was not a lottery that you won. You earned your way into the best right. charter schools now in Philadelphia, they're doubling down on that. And they're not, yeah. I cannot believe that they're doing this. The community is not happy about it.
1: it it's, Listen, it's, it's, it's so outrageous. I, so I, I hear you. I, I am a product product of public schools. I'm a proud graduate of upper Darby high school. Um, the public school system has been among the greatest forces of democratization in the history of Western civilization, right? The American public school system that is, That is categorically true. I am not on your show today to sit here and just, you know, say, you know, all public schools are bad and we should be Mm this as the media so often characterizes the Lifeline Scholarship Program as this private school voucher program. That's not what this is about. This is about looking objectively at what's going on. What we've learned as parents, you know, through the through the pandemic years, looking at the fact that seventy seven percent of Pennsylvania eighth graders are not proficient in math, forty-four percent of Pennsylvania eighth graders are not proficient in English and when you if you were to do a heat map across the state I'm sure what you would find is there are a number of fabulous public school systems in which those numbers are 180 from that right and a lot of them are in the richest county in 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 Pennsylvania Montgomery County that Matt Bradford represents so maybe Mm -hmm. that's why it's a hit lifeline scholarships are a distraction but if you were going back to the heat map concept where do those 77 percent of kids that are not proficient in basic mathematics come from they come from school districts that are profoundly broken in which throwing more money at them particularly in this sort of abstract unaccountable way that matt bradford and his colleagues talk about is not the answer and by the way lifeline scholarships are no panacea either it, i i don't sit here and say okay we're gonna give 13,000 kids in pennsylvania scholarships to go get tutoring or go somewhere else and it somehow fixes a broken system or broken school systems, it doesn't. It's immediate help to kids who are worried about, or to families who are worried about how their kids are going to get through fourth grade this year. It does not fix the underlying structural problems in the public education system. But it does start to to provide public policy solutions, right? And get people to think differently about how to solve these problems going forward and that's why it's so dangerous to Matt Bradford's progressive allies.
0: Yes. No, and, and the point that you raise is is a great point because you think of a child, you know, your your children's lives. And you say, oh, remember in third grade when we had you tested and it was a game changer because we realized thus and such and we got you the help you needed. And you think about a child's path and how one school year can be so critical. And right now these kids are in crisis you know I've reported on you know the city of Philadelphia fourth graders for example proficient in reading the percentage 15 percent of right. Philadelphia's fourth graders are proficient in reading and in math that number is thirteen percent thirteen percent
1: it's 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 a tra- it's an absolute tragedy in, in the wealthiest and most powerful nation and democracy on earth that we would have those kind of results and that's why I don't know did you see Ryan Boyer's uh, who's the head of, um, you know, one of the big labor unions in the mm-hmm. city, his op-ed in Philadelphia Citizen, recently where he said, look, <laughs> like, he, he, the map ratchets of the world in Tony Montgomery County don't get what's going on in some of these neighborhoods and yeah. some of these schools. And throwing more money at them is, is, is not the answer. So I think, I mean, so this budget will give, I think it's, Something like 600 million in basic education funding, which is the second highest since 2015. Uh, there was overall we upped public education spending by close to 700 million dollars of the 46 billion dollar budget. this is back of the envelope, but we're now up to like 13 or 14 billion dollars of that it goes just to public education. The city of Philadelphia receives over a billion dollars a year from the state. And then think about on top of it, Don, this is just our basic funding formula. Then on top of it, the School District of Philadelphia received uh COVID stimulus funds from the CARES Act during the Trump administration, then the ARPA funding during the Biden administration. How much more money do mm-hmm. you need? And that's again, this is another profound flaw in Bradford's argument. You keep having these conversations about more funding in the abstract. But when you actually push back and say, how much more? Where to what effect and what are the measures by which we track accountability and what are the reporting mechanisms and what outcomes can we expect? Nobody wants to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's not that the charter schools are necessarily better per se, right? It's more the fact that in charter schools, you, you tend to have, it, when they exist within the context of these failing school districts, struggling school districts, you have families who are engaged and interested in wanting their kids to learn Are making a choice to put them in the environment in which they think they have the best opportunity to learn and the kids are therefore more engaged in learning i know that's not the most politically correct thing to say Mm -hmm. but happens to be why it works again not a long-term solution because there are underlying socioeconomic issues governance issues that would need to be we need to address as a society because the results that you just articulated are completely unacceptable They're completely unacceptable, and there should be no differences in in sort of concluding that to be the case when it comes to ideology. We can argue about how to get to fixing it, but these statistics are frightening. And they and I'm not. I don't think I'm overstating the case when I say they jeopardize the very future and foundation of the republic. This is not an academic argument. No. So right, and and so that's why again the disingenuous arguments made by bradford process arguments and the mischaracterizations of what we're trying to choose here or, or of what we're trying to do here really expose both the flaws in their argument a and b what i would argue are the are real fissures in the democratic coalition i mean folks like to talk about how much republicans are fighting each other right now with conservatives and it's all true but you know if the media paid a little bit more attention they would find the bradfords of the world and the tony williams of the world might as well be on, you know, Venus and Mars. Yeah. And on one of the most important public policy uh, questions of our day.
0: As we continue the conversation with Brown Liberty CEO Terry Tracy, the question I have for you is where are the Republicans? Why not, if you, if you, if you have people who care about education, and I know Vivek Ramaswamy was was here to his credit Talking more about Kensington and the opioid crisis, and having a town, a couple town halls on that. But where are the Republicans? Why don't Why don't they come in, go door to door, and say to parents, "How can you find this acceptable?" You know, you have Jim Kenny saying that he's the education mayor. Are you freaking kidding me? Why not swoop (laughs) in, take advantage of this, and say this is a disgrace, Philadelphia. You've got all this money. Do you know where the money goes? It's not going to your kids.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a fair question. And I think you're right to challenge the Republican Party to do more and do better on this front. I would say that at the national level, I, I saw Vivek was in town and was touching on this. I, I think the the individual in the national stage with the most credibility, both in terms of um, his personal story and also uh, sort of his policy chops to mm-hmm. speak about these issues, is Senator Tim Scott. Is running for president, right? I think he talks about the authenticity of, the, of, of our constitutional framework and system, the power of education, and, and what it did for, for him and his family, right? Mm-hmm. His, his story is really an incredible story. And I'd love to see Tim here telling that story as often as possible. But when you get to the more local level, I think what you have here is we're seeing the fallout, the political fallout from this the power base of the republican party in pennsylvania and southeastern pennsylvania being wiped out over the last five years there is a massive vacuum and i think both senators ward and Pittman are, are very capable uh, i mean senator ward is not much to be messed with mm-hmm. she's a dog with a bone right she's she i don't know if you saw yesterday the governor was in western pennsylvania i believe talking about how oh you know Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum ten dollar per order, additional term supply. This debate over the fiscal code bills, which actually yes. fund programs outside of basic state funding, is really nothing to talk about. And he said, hey, it might be something like four hundred million dollars. She said, Hold it right there, Governor. We're talking about one point one billion dollars and we are going to we are going to comb through every single penny and before and we're gonna we're gonna make deals the right way and do things the right way to make sure we don't put ourselves in a situation where we get, uh, you know, screwed the way they were with, the, with, with the budget negotiations. But that being said, you know, almost all of the leadership in Harrisburg is from the central or the Western part of the state. Yeah. And when you don't have folks at the seat at the table from Southeastern Pennsylvania, being able to really articulate what's going on. Now we do There's representative white, I think is the exception from Northeast Philadelphia. Right. Mm-hmm. But as you know, we had, speakers of the House and majority leaders and appropriations chairs and committee chairs from throughout Delaware, Chester, Montgomery and Bucks counties, and they're not there. And so it creates, it creates a vacuum, I think, in these establishment components of the party, but it also creates an opportunity for the grassroots. And for those that are saying, look, we don't like the direction that these counties are going. We don't like the direction that these, the, the, the direction that these school administrators are taking as it relates to curriculum. Folks who wanna get involved Now is the time, right? Get involved in politics, get involved in your local school board races, run for local commissioner or supervisor, because that's the opportunity. Therein lies the opportunity for doing exactly what you're what you're challenging conservatives and Republicans to do. Go knock on doors, go to civic association events, go to community meetings and state the case. And then you'll change hearts and minds. And ultimately, that translates into political success.
0: Yeah, and I, I say it, I try to say it once a day, almost like a little vitamin or something, uh, talking about, you know, Moms for Liberty or those parents who speak out at school board meetings. They're not terrorists. They're not crazy people. But um, I, I try to, literally, I say this on the air. I say it, I say it off the air because I do think that more and more people need to be emboldened and empowered to feel like, yes, you have a First Amendment right and you have parental rights. You need to get involved. And make sure that you come out of the closet. A lot of conservatives. We had somebody calling earlier this morning, Terry, saying, "Oh, you know, love you guys." Listen, it's almost like they're whispering as they're walking into work. And yeah. and this that culture of conservatives in the closet must end. People need to speak out and and stand up and say, "I'm a I'm your fellow American." Let's have the conversation respectfully.
1: A- a- amen. We. we- we cannot be bullied. We will not be silenced. I mean, I think that's why that's why when I founded Broad and Liberty it was such it, it, that was really the sort of part of the core operating principle. Right. Part, part of the motivation was that there needed to be it was it's so difficult to find places to have constructive and productive conversations where people do it substantively and with respect. And as our civic institutions continue to be strained by technological change and social change and all these other things, it's the tradi- traditional ones that you and I would yes. would think to be typical, typical constructs in which to engage each other. And instead, you have to deal with toxic stuff that goes on in social media and in our political environment in general. And most people just don't want to deal with it. And frankly, I don't blame them. Yeah. But the reality is, is that you know our our form of our system of government and our constitutional framework compels us to do it, whether that's by voting, right? Whether that's by having constructive dialogue with family and friends at, at, at a holiday party, whether that's running for local office, whatever it is, it compels us to do it. Because if we don't, then we, then that vacuum is created that allows the loudest people in the room and people with agendas that are contrary to the intent of our constitution and our, our, and our system of government to then therefore take the reins of power. And we've seen that happen and we've got to take the reins back.
0: And one thing you've covered as well, my, my final piece here, as we talked to Terry Tracy, CEO of Brown Liberty, that I know you've covered it a lot. And that is, and you've said, get involved in your school board meeting. In Bucks County, this is so contentious as you have board members and, and the battle over the board. And you alluded to the fact, and you talked about earlier, the, the way that the left and the far left and progressives want to indoctrinate our kids this is a huge battleground in Bucks County, and I know you've been covering, you know, and writing about the school board races there. Can you just give us a piece? I know there was a meeting again last night, I believe, as well. But just the importance of people going to the meetings and being supportive of those who speak out.
1: So to so all those listening, I I swear this was not, like, Don and I didn't have a conversation no. before this started. You're, you're basically teasing the, uh, the next piece that I wrote that is about to be published today. And, um, but, and I encourage folks to go on the site and check it out, but you know, the inquirer did this completely, and this is now the editorial board. So we we're talking about Matt Bradford's piece, which is proprietary prior, but the inquirer editorial board did a piece last week on, uh, the fact that the central buck school district had given the superintendent, uh, a pretty hefty raise at the last meeting, and you know the argument the school board was making was that the raise was to right size him based on the market and the size of the district and academic outcomes. But the inquirer's argument was that they were doing it because he is willing to pursue an extreme political agenda, and he's being rewarded for that. And then throughout the throughout their op ed, they 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 completely ignored that report that Dwayne Mars did. 110% If you read the report If anyone at the editorial board Had read the report Actually read it Completely debunked The ACLU's complaints yes. And not only found that This was all political theater But that there was actually A middle school teacher Who was suspended That was intentionally Violating school policy By not reporting bullying Of LGBT students Because he wanted to Embarrass the administration So not only you Not helping those You claim to be helping But you're hurting them You're intentionally hurting And their kids Yes. over politics, right? Yeah. And so, yes, it's very contentious up there. And it's become a, a political football, and the media is waging, a, the Inquirer in particular, yes. a fact free war against a school board that was duly elected by the voters. in that. And look, they're up for re-election, and the voters get to decide whether or not that race for the, the superintendent was right, whether having politically neutral classrooms is correct, whether, um, you know, the Dwayne Morris report was worth spending a million dollars on the voters will have their say. But when you have the ACLU and the Inquirer editorial board and all these other far-left groups constantly kicking up the dirt just because they don't like seeing democracy in action when it doesn't result in the outcomes they prefer, Mm -hmm. we've got a problem. And as a result, we need the good folks of Bucks County to stand up and do exactly what it is you and I are talking about. And we'll continue to report on it.
0: Yes. Yeah, I'm so glad. I can't wait to see your latest piece, Uh, Terry. I've talked a lot about... Abe Lukaba, their uh, Central Buck School District, and even, you know, we'll pull sound because nobody's airing it, and so we'll go, thankfully, they have transparency, so we'll pull sound from some of their meetings that they had the night before, and especially the one where they were thanking him, for example, for pushing forth an investigation into a teacher who that resulted in some criminal charges from a, a predator, yeah. uh, you know, it, it just... You talk to parents there, they love him and they think he's fantastic and puts kids first, but you'd never know that from reading the Inquirer or some of the publications. It's a sin.
1: Listen, we've, we've talked a lot about struggling public school systems in this conversation today. Central Bucks is not one of them. Yeah. You know the, the, uh, Central Bucks has been one of the best top-performing school districts in the state for a very long time, before all this this drama started. And I think what most people want up there is to just get back to normal, yeah. right, to focus on yes. their kids and academic attainment and extracurricular opportunity and making sure that they're doing the best to set children up for success in life. And they, they want look, politics is a part of it because we elect school boards, right? Mm-hmm. It's inherently a political process. But it's these it's these third party forces that are using this as a proxy battle for larger cultural wars. Yes. That I think people are just they're tired of it. Right, yeah. and so, and you have two options, right? You stick your head in the sand, like we talked about. Like most people, just want to do because it's exhausting. Yes, and it's uncomfortable. But uh, what's been encouraging about the the, the, the folks in Central Bucks, to your point, is how they've stood up and how they've fought back and how they've organized and how they said, "We are going to we are going to make the decision over what's best for our kids. We're not going to have the ACLU's of the world and the Enquirer editorials of the, board's of the world tell us how to raise our children."
0: Yeah, well, well said. I love it. We'll continue the conversation. Terry Tracy, thank you so much. And I really, yeah, I really look forward to your piece coming out, your new piece coming out in Broad and Liberty. Thanks, Terry.
1: Appreciate it. Take care. Take care.